0: A start On demand. On demand.
1: There are few words in Winnipeg that incite more anger than the words photo radar. We're asking the question today, should photo radar vehicles be brightly coloured so you can spot them a mile away? If it's all about safety, hey, we'll speak with Sean Nason, City Councillor for Transcona. We'll also talk about building bridges between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians with North End community advocate Michael Redhead-Champagne. The Tri-Hospital Dream Lottery is underway. Some of the grand prizes up for grabs are amazing. And Sunwing is celebrating frontline heroes by giving away 100 vacations. So that triggered a conversation. If you could go on vacation anywhere you want and do whatever you want, what would that be? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, June 4th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, Mcnab. McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Start. And we have confirmation from Mel that my pronunciation of the Nürburgring is correct, The site has the distinction of being the deadliest track of the Grand Prix circuit, and that was based on Eve's vacation suggestion. He would love to go there and drive a Mazda Miata around that track. So keep those vacation suggestions coming. Where would you like to go and do something really cool? Speaking of driving fast, the flash of a photo radar unit as you speed through an intersection or school zone causes all sorts of reaction. You might feel bad that you were speeding or bad that you were caught or angry because you didn't even know you were breaking the law, Loren, in the first place.
2: Which is why our next guest says, if it's really all about safety, why aren't we doing as much as we can to make drivers aware that they're even passing through that photo radar area? Why are our photo radar units the vehicles, typically grey, beige, or nondescript, Sean Nason is the councillor for Transcona, and he thinks that in order to increase visibility around enforcement areas, all mobile photo radar vehicles should have a bright neon wrap around their truck or car, which clearly indicates their purpose. He's planning on making this motion at the East Kildonan and Transcona community meeting later this morning, but he's joining us now to explain. Good morning, Sean.
3: Good morning.
2: Thanks for taking the time for being with us. Just explain to us what what your point is. What's your goal in terms of why you're making this message motion?
3: Well, I've been trying to get a handle on where the challenges are in our community and if it's truly about safety that we need to, you know, really make sure that people are aware of what's going on and, you know, get get people to get the message of, of slowing down. Um, we, we see it throughout our city. I, I get complaints about vehicles racing and speeding. And, uh, you know, the photo radar is one that uh, has been a, a thorn in many people's side uh there's a feeling of it being deceptive um so this this takes that deception part out of it if that uh you know if we can't get the flashing lights in the school zones i guess this is the next best uh strategy to to make people aware
0: You you had to go there with the flashing lights, didn't you, Sean? Uh, Now, you're talking to someone that that agrees with the 30-kilometer-an-hour zone. In fact, I I think uh, the speed limit on residential streets overall is too high, but that's a whole other conversation. I believe in the safety aspect of this, but I don't like the predatory nature that this feels as though this is. And I'm with you. I, I feel as though the city needs to put its money where its mouth is. And if this is about keeping kids safe and keeping neighborhoods safe, then what they need to do is, uh, I think in, in, you know, implement your idea because I think they're doing it in Edmonton right now. And also I yeah. think any money that's raised in these school zones should go towards better lighting, better signage, safer crosswalks, uh, calming uh, traffic calming measures, as uh, Councillor Klein mentioned to us yesterday. All those things should be the priority if, if that's genuinely what this is all about.
3: Yeah, and you know, with regards to the predatory nature, like right on Disraeli Freeway, the, I, I've seen it uh, several times where the photo radar vehicle is nudged up against the building off of Disraeli and... Capturing people going northbound on on Disraeli, like it's they're not there to to be aware to make people aware of the speed that's it's strictly to uh, generate revenue.
1: We had Councillor Kevin Klein on yesterday talking about the fact that photo radar revenue is down this year, likely due to COVID. But beyond that, he was also talking about the fact that money collected from photo radar is used to fund the police service. He thinks it should go back to roads or safety improvements, traffic calming measures. Is this how you're suggesting it should be funded? You know,
3: back in 2002, that's, it was about reducing accidents, you know, making people safer. Um, I think it's gotten away from that. And I, I honestly don't think that uh, should be part of the police budget at all. It should be the gravy on top if if it's a matter of, you know, topping off some of these other programs. But it should not be part of their core budget.
2: So explain to us this motion this morning. The idea would be what would what the vehicle look like, for example, under your vision, Sean, and then the money then would come from any ticket collection.
3: Walk us through how exactly. you'd like to see this go from from my perspective the program should pay for these upgrades um you know i'm assuming that's how they pay for the vehicles if, you know uh but yeah to to have it as a wrap uh, so they can continue even with the vehicles that they have but just put a, a vehicle wrap like we see on some of our Winnipeg transit buses but in a high visibility and you know it could have whatever language they want to have on there if it's photo enforcement or slow down or you know, hey, wake up, silly pants! You're you're going too fast. You know, that's that's entirely up to the to the program to decide that. But it's just to try to to make people aware of that it's there, uh, especially in our construction zones. Uh, you know, over the winter, I got lots of complaints about uh, designated construction zones, uh, particularly at, along Furmore, and the, the vehicle was sitting off to the side uh, in a no parking zone. And people make claims that they weren't aware of it. It was 60 kilometers an hour there, uh, whereas it's usually 80 to 90 in the zone. So um, they're challenged by it, but we just want to make people aware that, that they're out there. And, you know, if they still speed, well, the, I hope they get to find that it's according to them.
0: There's so many uh, great technology options out there. When I was in Croatia last year, they had a sign that was attached to, it was radar. Like, I think they used to have it on Provence near uh, one of the schools there. And uh, it it would let you know how fast you were going. Well, this didn't tell you how fast you're going. It gave you a sort of a red thumbs down if you're going too fast or a green <laughs> thumbs up if you're going an appropriate speed. And so I think sometimes we have to get a little bit more creative if we're really Mm -hmm. trying to do what it is that we say we're trying to do.
3: Yeah, and in places like uh, Sioux City, Iowa, I I know they have little trailers that they put up that have the camera on it. And uh, they're very sneaky about uh, catching it for photo radar through there.
1: Transcona Councillor Sean Nason joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you so much for the time, sir. Much appreciated. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, Sunwing is celebrating frontline heroes by giving away 100 vacations. So they're giving back to frontline workers across the country, giving away these all-inclusive vacations to Royalton Luxury Resorts, and they are calling on you, to nominate a deserving frontline hero who has helped their family or community fight the pandemic. Eligible nominees can be healthcare workers, emergency service providers, or anyone who has helped keep Canada safe during this difficult time. So you can go to Sunwing's website, sunwing.ca, to find out how to nominate a hero. Or we've linked the page to our 680 CJOB Instagram story. Nominations will close on June 30th. But that just got me thinking yesterday while I was sitting outside, you know, if I could take a vacation anywhere, not just to take a vacation, but to actually, like, go and do something, what would I do? And you'd think that for me... It would be to go somewhere in Canada like Nova Scotia or Prince Edward Island or Alberta and go golfing. But the first thing that popped to mind was something I once saw in a, The Amazing Race. It's the cheese wheel, uh, Cooper's Hill cheese rolling and wake. It's it's just this like <laughs> steep hill where these people push wheels of cheese down the hill and then the people go rolling down the hill and tumbling. It, it looks chaotic and dangerous, but I just thought it would be fun to go somewhere somewhere on this planet to just do something kind of crazy or strange or unique, something that you just can't do here. So, I don't know. I just figured that could be for a fun chat. So why don't we go around the horn here? Jeff Fortier. Oh, hello there. Would you go to... You once mentioned you like the electronic dance music. Would you go to, like, a, a, a Ibiza in Spain, perhaps? Well, actually, I was going to say, I would like to go to a big concert somewhere in, like, the UK, somewhere that's not in North America, because I just find that the
2: crowds, like there sing with the music like they all chant sing and i just want to have that experience you know where you have over a hundred thousand people and you're you're all in sync
1: yeah when you see the crowds at wembley where yeah, everybody is Live clapping Aid. in unison oh
2: it's just it's amazing i want that experience
0: so somewhere in the uk hey yeah Jeff, you, you you love Bon Jovi, and John Bon Jovi always says about European crowds. In the United States, they know the chorus. In Europe, they know the verse and the chorus. Yeah, and that's the difference. Yeah, exactly. I want to
1: experience that. That's a great idea for today. Right on, man. Uh, Mackling, you mentioned uh, that initially it would be sports, but uh, what was for those just tuning in? You had a really good one.
0: Yeah, Holland, I'd love, love to take the boys to Holland and, and would hope that, uh, am hoping that when we do that, that uh, the boys' papa, their grandfather, who was born in Amsterdam, could be there to be a tour guide and to let them see Amsterdam through his eyes, where he was born and lived until he was a young boy, and then also to celebrate the the history, the connection between Canada and Holland uh, with regard to the Second World War and the liberation of Holland. And, and while we spoke about that uh, just early in the show, I got an email from Mike, who listens every day, and he says, uh, RIP uncle Frederick Cyril Smith, age 19, died liberating Holland October 23rd, 1944. Leopold Canal. Just remember, everything you have today is because of young men like him. And the power of that perspective, I think, would be uh, a tremendous gift to my kids. What about you, Jeff Braun? Is Jurassic Park real yet?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Would you, d- would you
0: like be d- ch- running from the dinosaurs? Oh, I was going to say, I don't want to be first through the door. I'll give them a few months to iron out some of the wrinkles, because the first time they tried it, it didn't go so well. But that would be awfully fun. But realistically... If uh, money's no object and time's no object, I would just follow Bruce Springsteen on tour. That's my dream vacation of all times. Just see like 50 shows in a row over half a year or something like that. and Just go wherever uh, Bruce takes us.
1: That's another great idea. What about you, Kelly Moore? Yeah, it would be very much music-oriented for uh, my wife and I. Uh,
4: We would love to go to the CMA Fan Fest in Nashville, which... Under normal circumstances, would be taking place right now. It just—it's four days of non-stop country music, and some of the best performances are the ones that are free to the public. They're on a—they're on Broadway in downtown Nashville, or they're on a grassy knoll or somewhere. I mean, there are just so many talented artists, and uh, for me, uh, and and I know my wife as well, uh, that
1: would be something that we would never ever forget. That sounds fun, Lorraine McNab. Uh, for those just tuning in, what were, you you rattled off a whole bunch of ideas. Have you zeroed in on one yet?
2: Well, now dare I say I might be agreeing with Kelly Moore or Forche. What? Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's right. I I do. I do think the experience is a really big part of it. And like you, you might just, if you go to a different country and try something new, even uh, Greg mentioned, you know, going to a soccer or football match. Uh, you know, like those kinds of things. Like I went to a game in England years ago for Fulham, which I don't even think is in the Premier League now, but it was so much fun. And so you find yourself caught up in these things that you didn't think you would be. But now after making a list at 6.07, I've changed my mind. I'd like to get back to Zimbabwe. Our family spent some time there when I was uh, younger. And then I went back there in my twenties and I'd love to take my whole family, my parents, my kids, everything uh, back to Africa and kind of go back through some of the places that really changed our lives and show our kids uh, some things that were really special to me so kind of like a history tour in some respects but yeah i'd love to get back and just um, be in harare zimbabwe again it's we've been debating that for years and it hasn't always been safe to consider it and so we keep looking at the different changing world and and hoping someday to get back there
1: clint texting us saying my bucket list vacation isn't a fun but it's a very important one to me i want to visit auschwitz Concentration camp mm. in Poland, such an important part of history, we should never forget. SD says British Columbia, and forgive me, I'm not entirely sure. i assume it's climbed, Is it the Gross Mountain, or would it be Gross? It's
0: actually Gross Gros? Mountain, the Gross Grind, they call it. You climb from the bottom to the top. It it can take you anywhere from 39 minutes to two hours, I guess, depending on your 39. How fleet of? What's that? 39. That's a minimum. 39 minutes. Thirty-nine minutes. Okay. If you, if you sprint up there, I think you can. I think that's. Uh, I think that's a reasonable time if you're in really good shape. Actually.
1: Okay. And then Eve uh, says he would like to drive, and this is really specific. I love this. A Ma- he wants to drive a Mazda Miata around the Nurburgring. Am I saying that correctly? In Germany, hundred fifty thousand person motorsports complex. Kelly, is it the the Nurburgring?
4: Uh, You have me, Brett. I'm not familiar (laughs) with that, but let's go with that until we are summarily corrected. Okay. Yeah, that would
1: be fun. (laughs) Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, there's a big day coming up that's got me anxious for my gym to reopen because I know that I've put on a couple of pounds during the pandemic. Greg,
0: you've been rather disciplined with your diet over the last couple of months. Is that still the case? Uh, According to the feedback I'm getting, yes. As you know, I won't step on a scale, so. but I'm getting positive feedback. And yes, I am watching uh, what I'm eating. I haven't changed a whole bunch, just the the amount and and the amount that I'm moving, I think has changed most dramatically for me. So um, affirmative to your question, Mr. McGarry. And
1: Loren, are you still running or rollerblading, was it?
2: Oh, I had a great eight-week stretch there where I was exercising all sorts of exercise every day, like videos and running and rollerblading with the kids and biking. And then I hit a wall a few weeks ago. And to be honest, I'm currently Googling other menus from our <laughs> small-town salute. Uh You guys were talking about Oak Bank. Peter Maine. Maine, yeah. I've been thinking about that burger for a week now and I'm back on that No, so to answer your question Brett, no, I'm not disciplined any further.
1: Well, maybe you need a jump start on the fitness front. If in this Saturday, June 6th is National Health and Fitness Day and to tell us more, we've got Kate McKenzie from Surefire Fitness with us. Good morning, Kate. Good morning everybody. What's happening on Saturday?
5: Yeah, so the first Saturday in June has been designated every year to be National Health and Fitness Day, and normally what happens is gyms are invited to open their doors and let people try out classes or view their facilities. But unfortunately, the way things are this year, that just hasn't been possible. So the Fitness Industry Council of Canada kind of came up with a a new concept, a virtual concept, where there'll be live streaming classes from across the country, led by fitness experts from PEI all the way through to British Columbia.
0: Now, that sounds fantastic. Clearly, we've seen an explosion of these virtual workouts uh, when the pandemic first started. What's the uptake been on those, uh, Kate?
5: Oh, for sure, there's been a huge surge in uh, online, live, whether it's on-demand or live classes. And I think you'll see that once gyms do open, I know some of them have already started to open here, but across the country that most gyms will offer a hybrid model where there will be some options for doing online classes and some options for doing in-person classes.
2: Yeah, we've been saying for months now, weeks, and now turned into months that it's going to change the way a lot of businesses operate. And in some cases for the better, depending on how you're looking at it. You mentioned that some gyms have we reopened. What's the response been in the community in terms of how those reopenings have gone? Because yes, they were allowed to uh, reopen June 1st, but it's a, it's a slow up if you want to get everything right in this COVID time.
5: Yeah, you definitely have to follow a lot of the protocols, which is obviously in the name of safety for everybody. I know for myself, I've uh, been doing my classes outside and we've been blessed with really good weather. So that hasn't changed too much on our end. And I think for the summertime, you'll see a lot of people taking advantage of the outdoors or continuing with those virtual classes. And maybe some people who really feel that need to get into the gym. So there'll be a blend uh, of activities, I would imagine.
1: And uh, Loren mentioned that she hit a wall. And I've noticed just in the last couple of weeks or so, I've put on a a couple of extra pounds in spite of my best efforts. Uh, Is that common for people to kind of hit a wall as summer approaches? You know, maybe they get ready, try to get that summer bod and then summer arrives and suddenly the motivation kind of disappears?
5: I guess that might be common for some people. It's hard to say this year in particular because nothing that we've really experienced has been all that common. And in terms of routine and stress, uh, routines out the window and stress through the roof for most of us for various reasons. So uh, nothing really common about this year. I think it's just a matter of taking one step at a time and giving yourself permission to rest when you need. And with all that movement outside can also help a little bit with the mental stress that we might be enduring of late.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a great point to uh, talk about how how useful exercise and movement can be in helping us with stress, anxiety, whether you've got depressive issues or not. Uh, nothing beats sunshine, nothing beats movement, and nothing beats doing it with somebody else. So, so how much of this pandemic has... Uh, Slowed people down because they can't work out with their with their friend or their workout buddy or their their, their traditional coach. Has that has that been a a huge uh, issue in the last few months?
5: Yeah, I, I mean, I can't speak to everybody. I know with Surefire Fitness, we were able to move our classes online relatively quickly. And I think at first people were a little unsure of the technology. But once they realized that even though they were in their own space, they were still connecting with other people. And I could see them and they could still hear all my ridiculously bad jokes during class. That, that still gave them that sense of connection during class. And now that we're uh, outside, I think people even feel that connection a little bit more.
2: So Saturday, National Health and Fitness Day, there's these free virtual sessions broadcasted on, broadcast on YouTube. How do it feel? I understand you're the one that was asked by the Fitness Industry Council of Canada to represent the Central Time Zone in Manitoba. That has to be a, feel like a win in, in what might have felt like not a lot of winning times the past few months.
5: Yeah, quite an honour. Um, the event basically runs from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And so my session is going to be right in the middle of that at 12.30 Central. Um, and people can tune in at any time. You don't have to be uh, there for six hours. And there'll be little 20-minute workout sessions, and the one that I'll be doing is called Intriguing Isometrics.
1: Intriguing Isometrics? Where do we find that? Where Where do we get online with these workouts?
5: So the Fitness Industry Council of Canada has a YouTube page. So if you Google that, then you just subscribe to their page and uh, sign in there at any time during the day on Saturday. Between the workouts, there'll be interviews. They've got a lineup of past olympic athletes and future olympians and mps uh who will all be talking about health and fitness and
1: trying to have a positive day moving forward as the fitness industry kind of reawakens kate mckenzie with surefire fitness thank you so much thank you have a great day all for years our next guest has dedicated much of his seemingly endless amount of energy To building bridges in our city
0: yeah when i first met this young man he was presenting at tedx an event here in winnipeg it was 2012 and i introduced him as north end mc the mc are his initials and the north end is his passion and loren over the last eight years the north end mc has become synonymous with his part of the city
2: of course, he's the founder of Meet Me at the Bell Tower. He was born and raised in Winnipeg's North End. He's also an award-winning community organizer, public speaker, and a proud member of Shamadawa First Nation. And we're always so pleased to welcome Michael Champagne back to the start. Good morning, Michael.
6: Hey, what's up, everyone? Nice to chat with you this morning.
2: Thanks for being with us. And oh, we've had so many fascinating conversations and concerning and disturbing and all the rest over the past few days. Michael, want to know what your impression is of What we're seeing in the United States is we see thousands of citizens, tens of thousands of citizens stand up and ask for justice, not just for themselves, but for others.
6: Well, it was an interesting, it has been and continues to be um, an interesting time, I think, for all of us as we see what's happening in the United States. And I think what it causes everybody to do is. Um, And I think many of us have been hearing that. Everyone keeps pointing over there and saying how bad things are over there. But the number one thing that I've been doing in my community work in Winnipeg when we do notice things that are happening in other places is asking ourselves the question, are those same things happening here? And is there something that we can do to prevent that situation that has obviously spiraled into uh, such intensity? Um, Is there anything that we can do proactively here in our own backyard to make sure that we prevent those types of things from happening. In 2014, I was featured in a book about the Idle No More movement and I featured in an article called After the Protests, Where Do We Go From Here? Um, And I talked about four things that I think people need to do when you attend a protest and if you truly believe in that protest and so what i would say not only to the folks in america that are supporting black lives movement right now but also to folks that are planning on doing the same thing here in winnipeg is that the four things you need to do when you are going to support somebody in a protest is the very first thing is you've got to do your own damn homework um and i think there's a lot of people that are unfortunately relying on black folks to do the education side of why is this happening right now and i think all of us have google We all have the capability to do our homework right now to make sure we understand why those things are happening. Anyway, it goes on to talk about how we all need to take initiative. We ask for and accept help, and then we creatively build momentum. But these are some of the things that I think that we can do in between rallies. And um, as much as everyone is, is instinctively saying everything's so bad over there, and phew, I'm happy it's not happening here, realistically, we have to look at the fact that Winnipeg, has had some, some difficulties lately when it comes to Indigenous people, Black people and the police. And I think we have to be real about the fact that there are some things we need to do in Winnipeg to make sure that we can prevent the type of widespread uh, violence and rioting that's happening because people feel like they're not heard. There are some systemic things that we can do today, I believe, to make things better, but it all comes from centering Black voices Um, And those that are most affected uh, first and listening to them on how we can structurally address these challenges, not just with uh, photo ops and uh, small uh, gestures that are tokenistic in nature, but things that are actually shifting resources and the way systems operate so that people that are disproportionately negatively affected end up having a little bit of power and control so that they can advocate for themselves and say, this is what I actually need. So I didn't mean to go on a big giant
0: speech there. No, I think it's apropos because when I reached out to you about this, Michael, you were, you were sort of apprehensive at first. You didn't want to take away the spotlight from Black Lives Matter conversation. I I respect that about you. And uh, I believe you put others first the most hours of every day. So uh, I I think you highlight uh, some great points here about what we can do and what we should be doing uh, in light of this in the shadow of this and uh, But this conversation really in Canada, you mentioned it, the fact that we're looking at over there. And so building bridges between non-Indigenous and and Indigenous Canadians is so critical. I I don't know we're doing a a great job at that. I I know you'd like us to do a better job. So what is it out of this that we're seeing in America that that we should be looking at and going, okay, this is happening right in my own backyard. I know you you, you mentioned a couple of things with regard to interaction between not only uh, Indigenous uh, Winnipegers but but Black Winnipegers as well.
6: Well, I think something that's been really important for me in the work, the community building work I've been doing, is trying to see what kind of Indigenous Black solidarity work that I can be doing. Um, and so, a lot of the work that I do is, of course um led from like a place-based perspective if it's something in the north end or a culturally based perspective if it's something for indigenous people or for for our newcomer community and um i think what we really need to do now is we need to look at those resources and platforms that we have been able to build and ask ourselves the questions how can we use those platforms to share space share privilege share resources share influence share money with the community that is most affected right now. And I think right now it's uh, it's black people in, in Winnipeg that we really need to be listening to. And I'll give you a a solid example. I've been chatting with some Grade seven and eight students over a number of weeks in a particular school here in Winnipeg. And this week is the seventh of eight, seventh of eight uh, talks with these students because of what is happening here. I'm going to be uh, inviting A black community uh, member to come and share that time with me i'm also going to be donating my fee for that day to the black uh protest that's the black lives matter protest that's happening at the legislative building this friday and making sure that that black leader that's coming on with me is getting compensated as well so that's like an example of i think small things that we can do to try to create space in our day-to-day activity and direct resources and supports to where it needs to be today
1: Michael, before we let you go, you you touched on sort of token gestures. You know, we see slogans and hashtags, an endless stream of blank black squares on social media, but those only go so far, I think, in helping connect people to a cause. So, you know, how can we take things from conversation to solutions, particularly for those who who might be engaging in those social media posts?
6: Well, I think... Uh, solidarity is important and any, everybody should take every available action that they can to uh, support. Um, with that being said, we do need to take the lead from those that are most effective, aka black people. And so the one thing that I've been seeing a lot um, on social media is people talking about how, and even a CGOB is guilty of it, is talking about um, how we got to track down these looters who have done the damage, but I think what we really need to do is we need to track down the cops that have done this damage. Track down, to track down the systems that have done this damage, track down the, you know, like this is, there's a lot of systemic racism, not only in policing, in justice, in health, in education, in economic systems. We have to track down the looters in those systems who have done the damage. Um, that's the damage that I want to track down. So
1: I, I need, I need all the listeners to help me. <laughs> Well, Michael Champagne, we appreciate every time you come on to help us uh, learn about what is going on in the world. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us this morning.
6: I appreciate you folks for having this conversation. And I look forward to hearing more Black voices on CGOB as we move forward talking about this in the future.
1: Very well, sir. And you can follow him on social media at NorthEndMC. Kling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have a large two-topping pizza from Santa Lucia Pizza up for grabs. The lines are jammed at 204-780-6868. So to everybody on hold, here is the question. 60% of people say they have had an argument with their significant other over this in the past month. What is it? 60% of people say they've had an argument with their significant other over this in the past month. What is it? Marie, do you know the answer? Too much baking. Too much baking? Like a (laughs) full-blown argument. Would you stop with the sourdough already? (laughs) No, that's not the answer, Marie. I'm sorry.
3: Thanks. Have a good day. (laughs) You
1: too. Uh, has, Has that come up in your household,
0: Greg? Baking? No. <laughs> There's been really no baking. Uh, the boys and Jackie will do a, a little bit of uh, banana bread and banana bread muffins, but uh, nope, no arguments.
1: Your guess is uh, incorrect, by the way, Greg. Your great uh, text to me is, but uh, let's see what Al says. Hi, Al. Morning. Do you know the answer? Uh, what to watch on TV. 60% of people say they've had an argument with their significant other over this in the past month. What is this? Al, can you repeat your answer, please? What to watch on television. Correct. You are correct, wow. sir.
3: Wow. Thank you for it very much.
1: You're welcome. What kind of pizza are you going to get?
3: Uh, onion and beef and onion, I think.
1: Beef oh. and onion. That's like a, like an like Are like a, you meat and potatoes kind of guy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah? Okay. Well hang on a second. Forte's gonna get your details off the air, Al. Stand by. Loren, uh, have you had any any arguments about what to watch on TV recently?
2: It's not really an argument. I think I was saying a couple days ago. It really That's comes right. out in my house as more of a <sighs>
1: Ah, the sigh! The <laughs> sigh! You you must love the the husband's sigh.
2: Uh, it kind of makes me laugh, actually, because <laughs> he comes in the door, and usually when he gets home from work it's the time of day, I've sent the kids outside to go play again, or, you know, just they're kind of occupying themselves, and I'm trying to find a bit of me time, because we go so to bed so early in this job. And he walks in, he's like, <sighs> modern family, eh? <laughs> or... <laughs> The Office, eh? I'm pretty sure you've seen this one. I was like, oh, I've seen this one nine times, but I'm still going to watch it again. So, yeah. I mean, this is 10. Yeah. We have very diverging tastes when it comes to, or different tastes when it comes to what we watch. Um, but we can we usually find some sort of happy medium for like an hour. And then, yeah, it's never a fight. What? He, like, just different tastes. That's all.
0: What about you, Mackling? Uh no it's just uh two separate TVs for the most part. Uh <laughs> Jackie and I have so such divergent tastes. The only thing we really agree on is football and hockey and outside of that it's completely different. I watch my documentaries and my different conspiracy theory stuff uh, on Netflix or or online and uh and then I'll you know I need my break and so I'll, I'll watch uh, Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm. Well. She can't stand Curb what are you listen? What's with the language? Why does Larry always have to talk like that? And can you go watch that somewhere else? So that's about as heated as it gets. I get the. Can you go watch that somewhere else? So that's ultimately what ends up happening.
1: So I, I don't know. I think that's kind of a win. Like, so you're asking me to go away and watch this by myself in my <laughs> own private
0: space. Yeah, it's a little bit of a win. I I wouldn't want to say that too loudly, but it is a little bit of a win. Did you just see this email, speaking of watching TV, that uh, Hal Anderson just sent out about how long people will spend staring at a screen in their lifetime?
1: 44 years
0: staring at screens. No. Oh, it makes me want to. It's making me sick to my stomach. How's that? I'll use the less descriptive term.
2: It it, it screens now, though, becomes your phone and your TV. If you said 44 years watching TV, that would be crazy. But if you think about just, you know, that report you get at the end of the week that tells you how Mm. long you've been on your phone. And it's shocking every time, even though I'm staring at my phone for a good four to five hours every morning, going back and forth with different things with you guys or what have you, let alone communication later in the day, let alone social media or the shows I might watch on my phone. So 44 years, though, that's like that's sickening.
1: Yeah, it is sickening when you put it into that kind of perspective. But as I think about it, like when I so when I come in in the morning, as soon as I'm here, I'm staring at a computer screen. And if I step outside for some fresh air, I'm looking at my phone. And then I come back in and I'm looking at a computer screen or I've got Global News Morning up on the mm-hmm. wall on TV. And then when I go home, even when I sit on the balcony and relax, my phone's still in my hand. So there is almost not a single moment of my day where I'm not looking at some kind of a screen. So... I think I need to re-examine my priorities. Thank you, Hal, for giving us a much needed perspective. Please. Greg, is that going to help you with your Twitter addiction, do you think?
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> It just makes it just more sad to know how much time I'm wasting. I hate that report. I swipe away from that report as soon as it pops up (laughs) on my screen. I barely take a glance at it. It's so depressing.
1: Greg and Twitter might as well be Barney from The Simpsons. Just hook it to my veins! Right now, we want to talk, Loren, about the homeless encampment on the Disraeli.
2: As you may recall, about a year ago, we were talking about different camps that have popped up across the city, uh, some in the village, some along the river, some down near the forks, and what to do about them and the whole question of how to help, but also uh, remove what might be dangerous or or camps. In- that are viewed as eyesores or other. And so the City of Winnipeg looked into using its own resources to try to remove some of these camps and draw in outside people to help out with this issue. But it hasn't really gone away. We might not be talking about it as much, but it hasn't gone away. And this morning, North Kildonan City Councillor Jeff Berwati is actually asking the city to return to its policy of using internal crews to clean up and dismantle some of these illegal homeless camps. And Jeff joins us now. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Just for those who might not be passing through this neighbourhood as often, and myself included, if I'm coming over the Disraeli freeway uh, close to downtown, what might I see when it comes to some of these camps there?
7: Yeah, I mean, shortly after you get over to the Disraeli freeway, uh, in front of the, uh, the Manitoba Métis Federation building, uh, there's a fairly large, we'll call it encampment. Some of it is tents, but it's also a lot of shopping carts and tarps and uh, uh, really unsafe uh, living quarters. I noticed uh, just this morning, I, I just pulled into City Hall moments ago, uh, it's actually expanded across the Israeli, so it's on the uh, uh, south side of Disraeli now as well. So it, it, it's really growing out of control at this point.
0: Jeff, uh, you know, I've seen these uh, grow over the last year or so, and uh, clearly it, it's... Uh- it's disappointing to know that Winnipeg's homeless population is, is growing to the, to the point that these sorts of things are necessary. I've seen them in Seattle. I've seen these homeless types of homeless camps in Los Angeles and, and different cities, Chicago, across the United States. And to see them here is obviously disheartening. And I just, uh, you know, I'm having a hard time battling the whole idea of safety versus eyesore, versus aesthetics? Uh, because clearly these these encampments and the shelters that are being created there are not safe on their own. And 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 I think that's where it starts for me. Is that where it starts for you?
7: Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's not safe for the people living there. Um, you know, just the number of fires that end up happening, there's no building codes, you know, of, of any sort there. Uh, you know, during COVID-19, people are, are living in quarters that are far closer and you know it's not necessarily the same family unit every night uh we're also hearing uh uh, council received letters from uh david chartrand the president of the mmf on tuesday and in that letter he explains that there's been many many issues with uh uh, people from the encampments uh, harassing and uh uh, bothering staff members at the mmf's uh, uh government headquarters there at 150 henry
1: I'm certainly not by asking this question. I'm not advocating that we just leave it. But if we go in and shut it down, where are they supposed to go? Well, the federal
7: government, the provincial government, have actually, under COVID-19, really stepped up and uh, advanced a lot of funds. Main Street Project uh, has opened a new shelter right by there. Um, It's uh, closer to the Israeli um, overpass itself. It's a large facility. I spoke to Rick Lee last week, and my understanding is they have capacity. They don't necessarily have relationships with the people in these tent camps, uh, but there is capacity there. They have uh, another facility elsewhere, uh, near not too far uh, away, that has capacity to do isolation units. So if they have people with COVID-19, they've got this, uh, space there. So it doesn't sound like it's uh, space and shelters at the moment. It's, it's, it's um, people who are homeless making the choice to live in these particular types of encampments.
2: So it, it, there may be the space, but you mentioned the idea that people are making a choice. And do we need? Do we not need to figure out a way? I mean, if if, if people don't want to go into these shelters or find uh, other places to sleep, they're they're choosing in many ways to, to spend the night outside in this in this manner, Jeff, for all variety of reasons. It might be mental health or other. I mean, what do we do at the end of the day if they if they don't want to go there? they're not going to go there, and so they just might move on somewhere else. There's a bigger issue here than just dismantling the camp and saying there's room there at Main Street Project or other.
7: Absolutely. I mean, mental health addictions are are a huge problem in our city. Uh, You know, the proliferation of cheap meth, for example, I think is is certainly driving a lot of the problems. Uh, But, you know, again, um, we have to look at the safety of both the neighbourhood, the people living there, and uh, again, I mean... Um, the city, I think, is in some way, if this was on private property, um, you know, the city would be going down, shutting them, out, shutting them down because they don't have uh, proper life support systems there. It shouldn't be acceptable for the city to be hosting uh, these types of structures, these types of uh, facilities when, you know, we wouldn't allow it on private property.
0: And I agree with you. Every instance, everything that you are saying, uh, from the safety of the individuals in these camps. But I just can't help but uh, ask Brett's question. Uh, you know, one more time, just this idea of where are people going to go uh, if if we kind of go in there and and dismantle these camps? It, it's going to be it's going to be stressful. It could get rather ugly is there is there not some sort of happy medium here because the thing that i think that bothers me the most is yes the structures are an eyesore and i'm concerned for the well-being of the individuals living inside but some sanitation Provisions, at the very least, could we not be have a, a, a central area where people can put the garbage or similar? Because it it just it seems as though there are all sorts of just junk piles associated and and building up around the outside of the of this camp in particular on Disraeli. I I, I just this is this is a tough one for me, Jeff. I got to be honest with Great. you.
7: Yep. I know. I understand. There's no there's no easy you know magic wand to. To, to make the problem go away. I, I, I recognize that and I appreciate that. I mean, they've opened up, uh, or they are opening up, I believe, in the Mitchell Fabric Building, a place where people can go, you know, drop in for, you know, short periods over the night in the winter to, you know, do a quick warm-up. Um, the new facilities, you know, Main Street Project is uh, a facility where, you know, you can still be using and get shelter. I understand Salome, like, you have to be clean before you can get shelter overnight. Main Street, not necessarily the case. Um, you know, there there's been a lot of additional resources added out there. Um, for people who are experiencing homelessness and addictions and and, and such. But you're right, I mean, there's no easy solution. Um, But again, um, just the the location of this particular one has uh, has certainly, it's so visible too, which is, you know, certainly uh, a concern from the residents I hear from on a regular basis. Um, You know, the city alone can't be the the lone uh, group that, you know, addresses homelessness uh, and addictions, but, uh, you know, we need to be part of it.
1: Jeff Berwadi, North Kildonan City Councillor, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jeff, thank you for the time, as always, sir. Okay, thank you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is exciting. Seven grand prize options. There is... $1.2 1.2 million dollars cash among those prizes luxurious Winnipeg living for worth over 100 or 1.5 million dollars your very own cottage on Falcon Lake at more Greg the Tri-Hospital Dream Lottery.
0: Yeah, you know what if there's ever been a time in recent history where we've been more aware than we are right now about the value of our healthcare system and those who make it work I can't think of it. Unprecedented is a usual pace of work for many in the healthcare system, but I would say 2020 is really putting that notion to the test. Jonathan Lyon is president and CEO of the HSC Foundation. He joins us now as we launch the Tri-Hospital Dream Lottery. John, this year feels like a bit of a bad dream at times, yet here we are. Well,
4: with every uh, challenge comes an opportunity, and certainly, as you so correctly pointed out, Greg, uh, if, you know, if you weren't sort of in tune with the importance of healthcare, we are now, and uh, you know, we're thrilled to be in the market again. The three major hospitals in the province to uh, ask for Manitobans' support to support really investments in healthcare, which benefits us all, and uh, Manitobans have done a fantastic job rallying around the advice and direction of the public health people to uh, stop the spread of COVID. And we ask them to continue to work together to support health care at the major hospitals, including HSC, to, so that we can continue to make strategic investments that allow for better care, more access to care and timely care, something that we all benefit from.
2: Jonathan, you mentioned the idea that if you weren't talking about it or you weren't really aware or thinking about health care, you are now how has the last few months just maybe reshaped some of the conversations that you've had even within your own circles? Uh, how have how, how we changed our mindset potentially around this?
4: I, I think it just, you know, drives home the, the fact, you know, that if you don't have your health, uh, you really have nothing. It doesn't matter. This is something that, that is, goes across you know race ethnicity income brackets and all sorts of things. We're all frankly terrified about a global pandemic and the impact of the coronavirus and what we're so so number one raises awareness number two I think that, you know frankly coming out of this they're not going to be able to turn back the clock on the necessity to have greater virtual care. And so that is something that we are going to be working on at HSC is to advance pretty quickly the uh, investments in allowing for virtual care. I know myself, I had a number of medical appointments over the last three months that were done with my physician online, on the phone. And think about that if you're in a rural and northern community, the advances that can be made. We just need to make some strategic investments in technology, and, and it's a significant undertaking. But we're up for it. HSC is up for it. Other hospitals are up for it. And we're going to get the job done. And When you buy your tri-hospital lottery ticket, we're going to support innovation in things like virtual care.
1: John, you've probably told this story uh, dozens of times, I imagine, but, I mean, HSC has such a personal and important connection to you thanks to something that happened with your parents.
4: Yeah, it's uh, coming up on, it was 2002. My parents, uh, in the middle of the summer, were driving back from visiting family in Portage La Prairie, and they rolled their vehicle on the number one highway. And to make a long story short, uh, they ended up in the HSC And uh, HSC saved their lives. And so from that point on, I've been involved with the HSC Foundation first as a board member. And now I have the good privilege to be the president and CEO of the foundation because I know firsthand how important it is to have great health care and great support when you need it. And I got that. my, My parents got that. My family were the benefactors of that. And I think it's important that everyone have that opportunity and that through supporting the foundations, we can escalate health care and healthcare support to a new level. And that's what we work hard to achieve every day. And we thank our lottery supporters and our donors for making that happen.
0: John, as you know, I've been associated with the St. Bonaventure Hospital Foundation for almost a decade now and uh, proud to represent them during their lottery. But, you know, my, my kids were born at St. Boniface Hospital, spent time in the NICU. My grandfather passed away at St. B. My mom spent the last hours of her life in the emergency room at HSC. I know they did everything they could to save her. And I always throw this whole idea of good, better, best, never let it rest till the good get better. And the better, best, something that would have been uh, something my grandmother would have been preaching. She would have turned 99 years old yesterday if she was still with us. But I just tell all those things just to illustrate how intertwined the, the hospitals are, the foundations are, and how closely they're working together all the time, not just during this this lottery.
4: Yeah, there's no question. We have great alignment with our hospital leadership. And, you know, frankly, we partner with St. B and St. Boniface Foundation and Children's uh, on lottery, so you hear about us talking about it now, but you know, throughout the course of the year, we're in constant discussions with St. Boniface, with Children's, with the leadership of the HSC, and are certainly directed by our board to discuss how can we do things better to improve health care. Like you, Greg, you know, my children were born at St. B., I've had you know, personal experience at St. B., at Children's, and at HSC, and uh, they really are the mainstay of hospitals. In our province, when uh, you're sort of down and out and, and uh, you need good care, that's where you go. So that's why we thought a number of years ago it was important to get together on lottery. Manitobans like collaboration. We believe in it. It's something that's benefit. We've seen the benefits through investments we've all been able to make as a result of this. And we just encourage everyone to get on board with that spirit and support health care.
2: Well, Manitobans like it when everyone works together, as you mentioned, Jonathan. We also like, you know, a few prizes, maybe a good deal. And I was joking a few hours ago this morning about every time we talk to somebody about a town or restaurant, I get derailed looking at the menu. Well, now I'm derailed looking at this Falcon Lake Cottage uh, on your website. Tell us a bit bit about the prizes and and what's up for grabs if we uh, choose to purchase one of these tickets and make a donation to the Tri Hospital Dream Lottery.
4: Yeah, yeah, there's incredible uh Grand prize options: seven grand prize options, including, you know, homes in Winnipeg. Uh, you pointed out correctly the the uh, cabin to be made at uh, or constructed at Falcon Lake, plus fifty thousand dollars furniture and appliances, uh, plus a 2020 Mercedes, a 2020 Regal boat, and fifty five thousand dollars cash. So that's just for the Falcon prize, and that sort of extends across. All other major prizes for uh, properties, both in Manitoba, we have a B.C. condo package as well. What a big condo package. Something for sort of every point in your life. If you're a young family, you know, you, you need to have different needs than you might if you're a retired couple, as an example. And, of course, there's always the $1.2 million cash. Uh, and then with those tickets, when you buy your tickets, you have a chance to win those great prizes. But you have a chance to buy uh, 50-50 tickets with a ceiling of $2 million. So that would be a $1 million in your back pocket should be nice. And then there's bonus prizes as well. And if you buy now, we have four uh, bonus deadlines before we get to the grand prize draw at the end of August. So you're entered to win these incredible prizes throughout the uh, program as well. So again, it's important to support it, but it's get in early and you get a chance at multiple draws to win other prizes, and you're still eligible for the grand prizes.
1: One of the rites of passage when it comes to these uh, hospital lotteries is we we as members of the media get to go to the launch party and get to tour the the, the show home. Uh, this year's big one of uh, the grand prizes is at 186. Willow Creek Road, but because of COVID-19 we didn't get to do that, and I didn't get to find the bathtub and see if I could fit in the bathtub. That's part of my tradition, but you can go to tryhospitaldream.com and have a look at it, and uh, I and I now see, two. not only do you get the home, but you get a couple of, couple of Mercedes-Benz, like how how much work goes into getting the prizes for these lotteries?
4: Yeah, you know, every year it changes. There's a lot of work. I want to you know, thank the, uh, those at uh, in our organizations who work t- countless and tirelessly to pull this prize patching together. This doesn't just happen. It's a lot of hard work. And, uh, so, and there's great prize. I mean, again, just to your point, those Mercedes are beautiful vehicles, uh, vacation, uh, travel vouchers, cash, uh, the whole nine yards, right? So you get the full, the full package. And, uh, I I've never had to worry about measuring myself for a bathtub being a, uh, tall five foot nine on a good day. But uh, <laughs> that's
1: funny. This looks, and I'm just looking at the picture of the bathtub. This looks like a behemoth. Uh, so, yeah, I would comfortably fit in that bathtub. So, that is wonderful. So, tryhospitaldream.com is where you go to get the website. Is there a phone number as well, John, if people want to just pick up the phone and order tickets?
4: Of course, 204 254 9131. And uh, next week, you'll be able to buy tickets next Monday at London Drugs in St. Patel or at uh, various shop or drug mart locations
1: across uh, Winnipeg. Jonathan Lyon, President and CEO of the Health Sciences Centre Foundation, joining us live on 680 CJOB. John, thank you so much for this. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a great day, everyone. And again, this is in support of the Health Sciences Centre Foundation, St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, and the Children's Hospital Foundation. And thanks to the suppliers of the Tri-Hospital Dream Lottery, KDR Homes, Ween's Furniture and Appliances, Mercedes-Benz Winnipeg, and CWT Vacations. Loren, so you uh, got derailed by the cottage in Falcon Lake, but did you look at the pictures of the main show home where we would have toured had we been able to go?
2: Ooh, no, but I'll do that right now. Is there a sweet walk-in closet? Wine rack?
1: Uh, oh, I haven't gotten that far yet, but yeah, this looks, like, really amazing. It's so nice, so open. Uh, oh, it looks like they've got a nice finished basement, too. Uh, I'm just sad that we You're didn't dreaming. You're dreaming. You're dreaming. I am. I am. I just, I fell into a daydream. Like, even the coffee table, or not the coffee table, the dining room table, you just go to the website and you'll see what I mean. This is unbelievable. Oh,
2: and look at that wall with the fireplace.
1: Yeah. It's spectacular. And seven grand prizes. The, the, and the idea of having a cottage, on a $1.5 million cottage on Falcon Lake. Uh, this is the things that dreams are made of. And you can only win if you get a ticket for the TriHospitalDream. TriHospitalDream.com. Is it's a climbing
2: wall. Sorry. A climbing <laughs> wall. <laughs> I was just thinking, once again, my mind is going places today. I looked at that and I was like, you could you could put some ropes and a couple little things on there. You could have a climbing so wall climbing slash TV unit. And, oh, that's yeah, a great
0: idea.
2: It would Barana, really devalue like the property big time.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'd have to be sure you, you're there for the long haul if you're going to that extent. What did
2: you do to this nice marble wall? Oh, it's a it's a classic climbing wall. A classic climbing wall. <laughs>